I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Back for another day, Thursday, March 23rd. And today, I'm joined by the great Trevor Sykema, uh, co-host of the PFF or the, the NFL Stock Exchange podcast. Absolutely cooking on their own YouTube channel now. Welcome in, Trev. Sam, good to be with you, my friend. I feel like we haven't talked football in too long, since the Combine at least. So uh, this is good, man. I feel, I feel good about it. We've got new things to talk about post-free agency. So I uh, appreciate you having me on the show, my friend. No problem. Anytime. So we're going to talk about team needs. Next couple of days, we're going to look at the team needs situation now that we've had free agency. We've had some additions, some significant movement in uh, roster construction overall today we're going to be running through the afc and then tomorrow mike renner is going to be back we're going to talk about the nfc um but first let's uh let's tell you a little bit about uh, western southern down here the sponsor of the pff nfl podcast while you focus on your roster moves the ones we're going to be talking about today western southern helps advance your money moves buying your first home planning to start a family wondering how to make your money grow Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com forward slash PFF. That's westernsouthern.com forward slash PFF. So a couple of little housekeeping things before we get into the meat of this. Um, Number one, uh, we're not going to be starting this right yet, but we're going to be running a mock draft competition for our listeners. So if you guys use the PFF mock draft tool, pff.com forward slash mock, um, create your mock drafts. If you predict essentially the first round as the, the, the most correct, the best first round, you're going to win some stuff, whether it's PFF plus, maybe we'll send you a t-shirt, something like that. So we'll work out the details and you can email those into us, uh, NFL podcast at pff.com with mock in the title. We'll start out, we'll figure out what all the details are, but that's something that's going to be coming down the pipe. And then the second thing is, if you're wondering where our rugby skills video is with Steve Palazzolo, well, I sent this video to Trevor Sycamore before the, uh, the show. One of the guys that we're waiting on to, uh, to give us the video of skills for Steve to replicate, he was part of Ireland's now Grand Slam winning Six Nations team, and there is a video doing the rounds where Gary Ringrose, one of the players, tapped out after the third day of consecutive drinking. Didn't, couldn't, couldn't stomach day four. So the entire Ireland squad rocked up to his house armed with beers to take the party to him. And the guy that we're waiting on uh, for the video of skills is in that posse of players that rocked up to Ringrose's gaff. So... It might still be a little while before we get a video of him doing anything coherent on a rugby pitch. 
we've all, we've all been there, right? I mean, you know, whether it was back in the college days or post college days, something probably something in your twenties, I would assume. Although yeah. maybe some people had a um, drinky resurgence in their thirties and forties, but like you know, you've had a rough night the night before. You went a little too hard. You tell your friends, "Hey, you know, I'm not gonna make I'm not gonna make breakfast. I'm right. not gonna make lunch. I'm just I'm staying at the house." And they go, "Nope, absolutely not." They show up at your house, little hair of the dog. You get right back into it. This is true. Day four, however, is is something <laughs> pretty extensive. It's a lot. Day four is impressive, and for all I know, that has rolled into day five. Like, who the hell knows whether that was the end of it? Uh, I I asked you. I asked you when you sent me that video. I was like, "Is there a tradition here? Like, it's like, oh, we've got to go hard for three days after yeah. you know after a big win or something like that." And you're like, "Nope, they pretty much just keep doing it." So who, who's to say that we're not on day five? There's not going to be a day six. Maybe they'll make a full week out of it. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, number one team of the world, Grand Slam winning championship. Like, who knows what? There's no precedent for that. I'm, essentially, this is uncharted territory. So we know day four happened. We don't know if day five happened or indeed when it's going to stop. Um, but my point I, being, I, I want to know who the last one standing is. That's what <laughs> I want to know. You know how like, OK, the whole big group might do it for three or four days, yeah. but like you know one or two guys are just going to be like, we're going to keep going as long as we possibly can. And I just want to know what that date is. Like, are we talking, what would it be on, like, day 18 or something like that? Do they need, are they going to need help? Do we need to reach out to these people? That's, you know, that's what I want to I want to monitor. I mean, the other thing is the, the kind of club season is still happening. So theoretically, those guys are going to go back to their club teams, <laughs> to, to Leinster, to Munster, and start playing games again. Um, so it can't go on that long. But yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive. Um, so anyway, that it might be a little bit of time is, is what I'm saying until we finally get through those things. Uh, but we're waiting on it. Anyway, Trevor Sikama, you did an article on PFF.com with the biggest need for all 32 teams after free agency. You can also find the team needs if you use PFF's mock draft sim. Again, PFF.com mm-hmm. forward slash mock. If you start up a mock draft, there is a little... Uh, a little window, <clears throat> little window at the top when you're picking that shows team needs and your remaining draft picks and those kinds of things. So, the uh, the resources there ac- across PFF to find those things. But let's start this out. How do you want to do this? Do you want to go alphabetically? Do you want to go by division? What's our game plan here? I'm shoot, man. I'm a guest on this show. I can do I can do really any of them. If you think it's more organized to go through division, we can certainly start and do division because we're just doing AFC. So okay. Um, we could do we could do that if you want. I think that makes sense. It would probably give us the opportunity to talk about some common opponents that they would have, or maybe some reasons for some certain moves that they made during free agency. So, if you want to do division, we can do that. Yeah, let's do that. Let's go by division. Let's start it off that way. So, AFC East. That's how we always start this thing. The Buffalo mm-hmm. Bills. That's our starting point. What does Buffalo still need after their free agent moves? So, looking at Buffalo's free agent moves, I mean, I like the Connor McGovern signing. Um, losing. Losing Tremaine Edmonds is obviously a big a big one in there, and so you figure linebackers probably going to be something that maybe not a round one need. I, th- I think offensive line is probably still their biggest area of need right now. Um, so I would think that O line, linebacker, and then a lot of people say wide receiver. Like I know that they want more production out of the slot, but. I like Khalil Shakir. You yeah. know, I I like what Shakir can be as a as a slot wide receiver. So they throw Shakir in there and and I really don't think that it's 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 going to be 
as catastrophic as people think. And so maybe if you want to make a bigger splash at running back, although I think that they're okay at running back as well. I think all that to say, just the two areas that I highlighted as their biggest areas of need now after free agency is still offensive line, probably a right tackle. And then maybe if they want to upgrade some talent at linebacker as well. Yeah, um, the linebacker one I think is definitely definitely a need to replace what you had in Tremaine Edmonds. I know they have Matt Milano there already. That's one part of a, a really useful duo in the middle. They need to figure out who that second guy is going to be. It's not the best draft in the world for, for linebackers, certainly not guys right. that you would expect to right. come in and be like day one impact players for them. Um, the offensive line is interesting because they, I think, have taken this approach for or under the current regime of let's just make sure the offensive line is okay you know and not necessarily go crazy with huge money signings or with like massive elite playmakers but let's just keep throwing bodies at it and hope that when we get to a season the starting five guys or this you know the the seven eight guys that we're going to use over the course of the year none of them are liabilities um and, and i think that's kind of the approach that they've taken so McGovern fits that kind of uh, billing. I would imagine they keep adding bodies to it in the draft as well. I'm also with you that I think it's not that they couldn't use another wide receiver or even, mm-hmm. you know, an elite running back or whatever, but sort of adding that as a need feels like just being greedy, right? Like right. Stephon yeah. Diggs, yeah. Um, Khalil Shakir, I really love Deontay Hardy. If he can stay healthy, if he can be on the field, I think that's a, you know, real impact playmaker for them in a, in a smaller role and then Gabriel Davis sure he hasn't necessarily become the player that they wanted him to be as that true secondary threat next to Diggs but when you start adding all of that together like it's more than enough you know right right well you know more than enough it just depends like how you're measuring it and this is a team that Certainly, when you look at their skill group of players, it's not the worst in the in the league, right? And and you could tie in all of that: the running backs they have, the tight end options, the wide receivers. It's it's a it's a good one. It's one that's clearly playoff caliber. It's something that can get them to within striking distance of what they want, but is it enough to get them over the top? Do they have enough dominant one on one players to where okay, on a play where Stefan Diggs isn't able to get open, do they have a reliable option somewhere else? I think that that's just it. It, it gets kind of tricky because we. We can evaluate the Buffalo Bills versus the average, right? And I think that we would say that their pass-catching group and their skill position guys are well above average, but they're not trying to measure themselves against that. They're trying to measure themselves up against the best of the best to make sure that they can get over the hump, get to the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl. So in that regard, that's ultimately why I kind of threw running back there at the end slash wide receiver is – yeah, I think you got to if you've got premium resources, they should probably go towards the trenches. Linebacker feels like the biggest area of concern if you will on the team. Yeah. So that gets in that list as well for that reason. And then once we get into those mid rounds or maybe the second round if you feel like using a luxury pick on it, having those skill position guys to maybe take you over the top to overwhelm some defenses, maybe that's how they look at it. Yeah, and potential contingency as well. Like, I I really like Damian Harris, but it's not like he's been able to stay healthy consistently Mm -hmm. throughout his NFL career. So, and the same thing with Deontay Hardy. Love what he can bring to that offense, but the guy barely played last season, you know, and and it was a sort of, it was a turf toe injury, which is not the kind of thing you necessarily want for your speedy, lightning quick type of receiver. So it's, you sort of look at it and you say, well, if all those guys are there, that's fine. But if they're not, 
we could definitely use some kind of contingency built into that. So I definitely agree that like receiver and running back could be upgraded upon and you wouldn't hate having an extra body in there. But I think that's definitely a far cry from calling them needs where I think you hit the right area. Offensive line and linebacker are their their two issues. Mm -hmm. I also wouldn't hate, by the way, the Bills adding some players on the defensive line. You know, that... Sure. People another, talked about that as well. Yeah. It's another area where they've added a lot of bodies in recent years, but how successful have those additions been, right? And, and outside of Von Miller last season, we saw that it really didn't. Like the Gregory Rousseau, um, Boogie Basham, Ed Oliver, those guys did not step up in, in Von Miller's absence. And it was a real it was a real issue when they didn't have him out there. I think the only place, because I, I don't totally disagree with what you're saying, but the only place where I would draft a defensive lineman if I was Buffalo is in the first round because like you said, they've got a lot of names. They've got a lot of bodies. Like they have those guys who can kind of just like fill out the rotation of a defensive line. You're talking about missing a real impact player. And I think the only place you're probably going to get that is in the back end of the first round with the picks that they have. So if they're not taking a D lineman at 27 or 26, can't remember which number it is. Um, I think Dallas is 26, 27. I just talked out loud to myself. Hopefully that's okay. Hmm. Uh, unless you're taking it at 27, to me, then it feels a bit redundant to take one later in the draft, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Like you're the, the way you articulated it initially is the the best explanation. Like like they need they need somebody that upgrades an underwhelming unit, and you're probably only going to get that guy in the first round if right. at all, right. because right. you know they have first rounders on that defensive line that are under underwhelming right now. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, let's move on to Miami. Where are Miami's biggest holes after their moves? All right, let me scroll down on the list here to the Miami Dolphins. Obviously, the big the big addition that they brought in is um is Jalen Ramsey I, I still think offensive line is the biggest area of concern for Miami because when you look at this team on paper this is one of the best rosters in the NFL right I, I mean we're basically to the point where it's simply about the boys up front blocking the way that they need to and Tua being able to stay healthy playing the way that he needs to to facilitate the ball to some really fast really good playmakers that's the only thing that it feels like is is in Miami's way at this point they have phenomenal talent on the defensive side of the ball now Fangio is the guy who is orchestrating that defense Mike McDaniel we know that what he's able to do as an offensive uh mind and as a creator as an innovator now obviously like he has the playmakers in Tyreek Hill and, and Jalen Waddle and the speed that they have out of the, out of the backfield it's really just about the offensive line playing as well as they need to and to a playing healthy or being healthy. So I think that when I look at the uh, areas of need for Miami, maybe that tight end spot, right? Because they lose Mike Kosicki and depending on how much they want to emphasize that, perhaps that gets into the equation, but right. oh, man, if I'm the dolphins, I'm just, I'm just allocating resources along the offensive line, interior offensive line, maybe some swing tackles, some guys with a little bit of versatility to me. That's, that's what Miami needs on a roster that, does not have a lot of needs right now they're just ready to compete yeah it, it is impressive how quickly they've turned this thing into what looks like a really really good team and the only thing right now that looks like it could undermine that is the offensive line and Miami you have to feel should be more invested in their offensive line in their protection than most teams because of what's happened to Tua already of course not saying it's necessarily the offensive line's fault like you know, sometimes your quarterback just takes hits, but they must be invested. Like, 
when Joe Burrow went down with his knee injury, the Bengals were like, okay, we need to make sure that never happens again. You know, even if mm-hmm. it's not nece- – even if the specific hit that injures the quarterback is not necessarily on the, on the offensive line, they're like, we can't have that happen. This guy is capable of taking us to a Super Bowl. We need to make sure he stays upright. The Chiefs, when they got their ass kicked in the Super Bowl that time, it was like, that can't happen again. We've got Patrick Mahomes. We can't have – lost Super Bowl championships because our offensive line gets torn to ribbons. So both those teams have gone hyper-aggressive in getting offensive line upgrades across the board since mm-hmm. those things have happened. Miami has now suffered through, you know, three, two, technically, three real concussions for Tua in a single season. They have to be looking at this and saying, all right, this this job isn't done yet. We've added Teron Armstead. We added Connor Williams. Robert Hunt is already a good player. We still have two other spots and realistically, two and a half, because you can't rely on Teron Armstead playing 17 games in a single season, they still need to keep swinging. Yep, I agree. I agree. Eichenberg's, for as much as I sort of liked Eichenberg coming out of Notre Dame, like it felt like he was just a very steady, experienced offensive tackle kind of a player. I knew the measurables weren't going to be as fantastic as they are for some other players, and he's just not the best athlete. So I think that's getting exposed a little bit at the NFL level. And so, yeah, I, honestly, they don't have a first round pick, so they don't get to make that splash there. But when they right. do pick, I believe it's a pick 51. O-line's got to be where you look. Uh, whoever the best o- offensive lineman is, um, again, if you think you can get a guy with versatility, a guy that might have some tackle guard versatility for you, I think that's even better. But it's just got to be O-line. I think they've got to look there the entire time. I have to say, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that Eichenberg hasn't been at least a capable guard. You know, I, That's I thought, what I thought, man. Yeah, he felt like a guy that I could understand why he would fail a tackle, but then you kick yeah. him inside the guard and you have a solid player going forward, and it just hasn't been the case. His PFF yeah. grade has gotten worse. Uh, it actually it got worse moving in from tackle to guard. Last season, he gave up you know a reasonable amount of pressure, just wasn't good as a run blocker, just hasn't been a good guard i i i'm i'm kind of surprised by that yep same same i thought that i thought his floor would be a lot higher of a player than it seems like it is because he seems like he's been a liability for miami which obviously not great then you got upgrade stuff yeah how much would you be focusing on that contingency plan at left tackle baking in the idea that teron armstead is going to miss time because well he just always does now I mean, of course, you would love a player who gives you that kind of versatility. Like, if if they have the option to draft, say, like a Matthew Bergeron out of Syracuse, the number 51, that's a player who's got offensive tackle experience, who also has the body type that's big enough for you to play him at guard if you wanted to. So if Tron Armstead's healthy, obviously he's going to play on that left side. And if you still need an upgrade in the interior, he's somebody who I think that you could plug and play there. He's somebody who I look at as, as a really ideal target for Miami because he does give you a little bit of that versatility. So I, that certainly goes into it. But, hey, the problem is that every team in the NFL would love guys like that, right? Oh, we know we we know he's going to be a really good offensive guard. Maybe he'll be a, a good fill-in offensive tackle for us, right? The New York Jets thought that about Elijah Vera Tucker, and it's it's – come in handy for him. You know, when they've had times when they've needed somebody to step up and play offensive tackle, he's had that experience of both playing as a starter on the interior. He played as a um, right tackle, I believe, when he was at USC. And so he had that experience there. And there's a reason why he was a first-round pick, because he was good enough to do both. So I think Dolphins would love that. But will they be able to get a player like that in the middle of the second round? We'll see. 
There's also, you know, this is Miami is the kind of team, albeit without an awful lot of cap room to spend. Like there are still players available in free agency now that can come in and they can start on the offensive line. There are going to be cap casualties, you know, as we work through this thing and teams sign rookies and teams have to uh, free up cap space and all those kinds of things. You know, Miami is the kind of team that should be looking anywhere they can get those offensive linemen. Like, just mm-hmm. add the bodies, make sure that you don't have multiple spots along that offensive line that are problematic. If you end up going into the season and one of them is an issue, okay, fine, we can work around that, particularly in this offense, you know, with um, all the things that they do. I think this offense makes life easier for offensive linemen generally, but you can't survive with more than one weak link on the offensive line if you want to be like a true contender. Yep, especially in this division, right? Yes. Feels like it's one of the toughest divisions in football now with how how good these teams. I mean, if Aaron Rodgers gets to the New York Jets, then we're talking about what feels like three of the best rosters in the NFL in the same division. Yeah, so, I mean, everything you're stuff. looking for or everything you're looking at from a Miami perspective, nightmare division, nightmare conference, like you need to be looking at not just can we get by with this weak link, but we can't have weak links because mm-hmm. it's just brutal. If we were yep. playing in the NFC, it would be one thing, but we're not. We were playing in arguably the toughest division in football. Uh, this needs to be fixed. So they have to keep swinging whatever way they can get it done. Um, New England Patriots, arguably the fourth best team in this division if they Oof. if the Jets get Aaron Rodgers. I think it's... I think it's firmly the fourth best team in the division. Uh, I think that's even the case right now. I, I think that especially if the Jets get Aaron Rodgers, this one's not even close. And and I think that it goes back to my biggest concern with the Patriots is, one, this roster is just not very good. But first and foremost, they're not good up front. Like I feel like that's, this offensive line in New England just underperformed in major ways last year. So they've got huge needs along, I think, the offensive line, especially at the tackle spot. Um so that remains their number one need. They signed um, Riley Reef, but I mean, that's not really moving the needle at all when it comes to taking needs off of the table. I know they re-signed Jonathan Jones as well, so bringing him back is nice, but they still have a cornerback need as well. Those are those are where my mind definitely goes first. They brought in Mike Kosicki. They brought in Juju Smith-Schuster. Okay. Again, a difference-making pass-catching option is still needed. You know, when I look at Juju Smith-Schuster, even at his best when he's operating from the slot and he's a very efficient kind of short yardage after the catch kind of a player, to me, he's a wide receiver two option at best. And Mike Kosicki, yeah, he'll give you some plus athleticism at times when you when you throw that wrinkle into the passing game plan with the tight ends. But again, he's not he's not good enough in the passing game to where, okay, he's like a Travis Kelsey or a George Kittle or a Mark Andrews type where these guys can be focal point number ones in the offense. So when I look at this Patriots team, it's just, they don't have a, they don't have a dominant offensive lineman that they could really lean on at the tackle spot. They don't have a go-to player in the passing game that they would really need in this offense. And on the flip side of things, they don't have like that shutdown lockdown corner. I think it's guys that are okay, but Corner was an area that really let them down last year, I think, overall, just from the secondary entirely. So um, that's that's kind of what I look at with the Patriots. They didn't make huge splashes in free agency, and so ultimately a lot of the needs that we thought for them, especially in the first round going into the draft, they're the same. It's offensive tackle, it's corner, it's wide receiver. Although I don't think wide receiver is going to be really considered 
with them picking at number 14, I think right. it's going to come down to corner offensive tackle, but that's the way that I see their needs right now. I'm kind of surprised you still think that offensive line is that big a need for the Patriots. Um, like, you know, if Riley Reef starts at right tackle, I think they're fine. If Calvin Anderson has to start at one tackle spot, I think they're fine. Like, it's not like it's a good um, group necessarily overall, but it's, it's like Buffalo's where they just want to be okay at every spot. If you've got five average offensive linemen, you're fine. And, you know, again, sure, you're in the toughest division, toughest conference. You would like to be better than that. But in terms of, like, allocation of resources, I think that offensive line would be in certainly in the top half of offensive lines in the NFL, whereas wide receiver is a need. Like, even with sure. Juju there, they, they need that one guy that's going to come in and transform that group. Like, a corner, I agree with you, is a need. Um, and probably their most obvious kind of first round target but mm-hmm. like, I just don't I don't think offensive line is on the same level as those two spots maybe some Patriots drafting strategies of the past kind of go into this a little bit because I agree with you that the wide receiver group is the one that feels the most barren even yeah. though I have it as like number three if you will on this list I if if there was a dominant wide receiver to pick like if there was a Jamar Chase, if there was a uh, Justin Jefferson, if there was somebody who was an absolute takeover offensive weapon that they could draft at 14, I feel like they absolutely should. But the Patriots just don't do it. And in this wide receiver class, unless you really think that of Quentin Johnston from TCU, I mean, are they going to draft Jackson Smith and Jigba at 14? And then they just have Jackson Smith and Jigba and Juju Smith-Schuster you know, like, and like a couple of like smaller slot guys, maybe they think that'll make all the difference in the world. And maybe it would with Bill O'Brien. There's the offensive coordinator. But when I look at their wide receiver room, unless they see Quentin Johnson as a wide receiver, one X type of on the line of scrimmage outside wide receiver. I don't know how, even if I like the talent of Josh Downs, even if I like the talent of Smith and Jigba and Jordan Addison and um, Zay Flowers, like, are those guys moving the needle for this Patriots group of wide receivers? I don't know. I, I kind of have my doubts about that. That's why I keep going back to offensive line because you mentioned, okay, there are some names on there who have performed all right, and maybe they can get average out of the offensive line. I went better than average. You know, if I'm sitting there with a the number 14 pick and that's a premium pick in the first round, that's where my mind would go, especially with the lack of wide receiver talent that they have. So I, I still do think it's going to come down to offensive tackle and corner. Oh, I, I agree with you that I think they're much more likely to draft an offensive lineman of 14 than they are a wide receiver, but I don't mm-hmm. think that's reflection of the, the relative need of the two. I think that the Patriots, maybe more than any team in the NFL at one specific position group, are and would be right to be uh, you know, snake bitten by drafting a wide receiver in the first round. Like they, yeah. the list of wide receivers that they have drafted since, you know, finding Julian Edelman, a quarterback and turning him into a wide receiver is awful. And the higher the pick, the worse it seems to be. You know, they, Nikhil Harry is the guy that tempted them back into the first round for a wide receiver for the first time since what was it, 2006? And that was one of the biggest busts that anybody's had in the last few years. So, the Patriots should be looking at this and going anything but a wide receiver in the first round. Like, just don't do it. Figure out another way. Um, But to me, that means that they should still be in the trade marketplace, right? And even if it means the number 14 overall pick goes somewhere else, like let's trade for a wide receiver. Let's answer that 
without even getting to the draft. Let's flip the 14th pick. Right. You know, we've been talking about T. Higgins, test Cincinnati's resolve for keeping him. Brandon Ayuk. Like, oh, dial up. wait, you're saying you're saying off from 14 for T? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, T would be wide receiver one in this draft. Right. Same thing with, with Brandon sure. Ayuk in San Francisco, right? At some point, they're going to have to pay all those guys. How wedded to keeping him around are you? Would the number 14 mm. overall pick change your mind? You know, they, that's, a, that's a pretty big bargaining chip to have a mid-first-round draft pick and have a need for wide receivers who are going to have to get paid. And sure, the team would like to keep them around, but... There's a difference between, you know, I'd like to do that in an ideal world, and right now somebody has put the number 14 pick on the table and maybe mm. something else in addition. Like, the A.J. Brown trade, effectively, a year later, is what the Patriots should be offering teams that have a wide receiver available. And not, you know, available, but a wide receiver that could potentially be pried from them. I hadn't thought of that for T Higgins, but I actually like it now. Like the wheels are turning now. Like that's, that is, that is opened it up for me. Now I, I don't think the Bengals will do it, but again, I only don't think the Bengals would do it because they have not given any wiggle room at all that they're interested in moving on from T Higgins. Sure. But there's a difference between saying that out yes. loud and telling a team no to the number 14 overall pick. So here's the thing. I've been like pushing this as an idea and Bengals fans hate me for it because they're like, they say he's not for trade. They don't want to trade him. I agree. You having just come to this idea and you say, okay, number 14 is not going to get it done. What do you think Cincinnati would accept for T Higgins? If 14's, the, the thing is, is that obviously if... So let's say that's your first offer, right? I'm the Patriots. I phone you up. You're Cincinnati. Hey, we understand that T. Higgins is not for trade. You're not interested. Mm -hmm. I, 14. I want to give you the 14th overall pick. Your initial response is, nope, not going to happen. What's your counter? Like, what's the next? Where are we going? Where do we meet? I mean, at that point, if you're the Patriots, how much more could you realistically give than 14? Because 14 feels high anyways right but i think that it's worth it for that kind of a caliber of a player if you're the patriots i don't think you offer anything more than maybe you counter and say okay we'll throw in what next year's third at most because you can't you can't get higher than that you can't start going like oh we'll give you a first and a second round pick for t higgins because then all of a sudden that just i mean that doesn't make sense for new england and you might put the Bengals in a situation where you go, okay, if you're going to be that crazy about it, I guess that we'll, we'll take it. So right now, although it's very interesting, I think this is a, a great proposition that you guys have. It doesn't feel like it could get done for anything more than if the Patriots offered 14. Because once, once the Patriots start offering more than 14, then they're just getting crazy with it and they're getting reckless, I think, with their draft picks. And if the Bengals already didn't want to talk to the point where they would they wouldn't take the number fourteen overall pick, then you're again you're probably going to have to stack the trade to a point that gets unrealistic. So yeah, very that's very intriguing. But that's that's ultimately where my mind goes first. I when mean, you ask that question. AJ Brown went for the first rounder, which was a little lower, right? It was like nineteen. Um, uh, I think it was twenty two. Okay. So a lower first round pick, but they threw in a third, I think, as well, like 90 or 100 or something like that. I think you could go 14 and then throw in something conditional next year, you know, based off how he does as the number one wide receiver in your offense. Like a conditional. Oh, eight, 18th and 101st. 
Okay. Yeah. So this it was right. So if fourteen. Yeah. So I okay. Think, the the AJ Brown trades about as far as you'd go. Yeah. So you could either do that this year, right? Fourteen and one oh seven or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Or you could say 14 and let's say a conditional second next year. Like if he plays, if he hits whatever, we give you the second round pick in 2024. I think yeah. that's at least the conversation that Cincinnati has to take. Yeah, again, that just to, to me, that doesn't make sense for the Patriots to go that far then because you're not just trading for him, right? You're trading for him and you have to pay him, right? right? Cuz that's the whole point of why Cincinnati would even move on from him. Mm-hmm. So you're doing both. That make it made it made sense for the Eagles to go that far on a team that was close enough to take the next step, which clearly they did to get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, Patriots but, aren't making the Super Bowl with T Higgins. No, right? but I also think he can have that kind of impact on a white on a on an offense where he becomes your number one. All of a sudden, Juju, Devontae Parker, Mike Gesicki, that suddenly starts to look a lot better when they're just complementary pieces to a guy that's a number one. It helps Mac Jones like that. It might not have the AJ Brown impact, but it can have that kind of impact. Certainly way more than anything you're gonna get in the first round in terms of risk reward. Like I think that's I think you can talk yourself into a 2024 conditional second based off that kind of impact. I just don't I don't <laughs> I I do not disagree with what you're saying with like what T Higgins brings to the table. I don't know how much it actually moves what the Patriots are able to do. If the Patriots traded a first and a third round pick and signed T Higgins to a month to to a big deal to get him on the team, you know where the Patriots would be ranking wise in the division? Fourth, still fourth. They'd yeah. still they'd still be fourth. And like to me, that that's that kind of w- being honest with where they are in a winning window also goes in this to me because again, it was worth it for Philly to give up what they gave to give up what they gave for AJ Brown because it truly put them over the top and it got them on a Super Bowl trajectory. Yeah, it helped at least I, I, for the Patriots. It only makes a really bad pass catching unit maybe average. And that, to me, that's then that's not worth it. You're not taking an epic step. You're just getting to mediocrity, especially when we already went over the fact that this is the toughest division in football. We're assuming that Aaron Rodgers goes to the Jets. So, like, the first two, three years of you even having T. Higgins, maybe the roster even gets a little bit better around him. What are you barely fighting for a wild card spot, essentially? I don't know. That's yeah. that, I mean, that we're bring, talking through it. That's where I ended up. That brings us on to the Jets because I think – a lot of AFC teams are in this tough situation now where if you're the Patriots or if you're the Jets um, pre-Aaron Rodgers and you're looking at this division, you're looking at this conference, you know, with Mahomes, with Josh Allen, with theoretically still Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, like this murderer's row of elite AFC quarterbacks and teams. And you're saying, we don't have one of those. We got Mac Jones, or in the case of the Jets, we got nobody. Like, what are your options? You either just go, we can't contend with this, so let's just, like, let's just stall for time until the dynamic changes and the landscape changes and we can do something different. Or you, you say, say... You're saying if you're the Patriots? Both. Or you say, to hell with it, we've got to make some kind of significant move because that's the only chance we have. And maybe it doesn't work out, but at least we tried. So that would be my argument for the Patriots going big for a guy like T. Right. Higgins. And it's right. why I've been in support of the Jets' idea of, to hell with it, let's go get Aaron Rodgers. Like, Derek mm-hmm. Carr is not moving the needle for you. Andy Dalton's not doing anything. They don't really have a shot at a, a rookie in the first round, probably from where they pick. So 
whatever. Let's go get Aaron Rodgers. Let's do whatever it takes. Let's bring him in because that's the only thing that can move the needle as much as we need it to move to knock over Buffalo and Miami and Kansas City and, and everybody else. Yeah, and that's kind of the, the thought process that I have with you know my, my thinking about the Patriots. And look, I understand that the football world does not operate kind of the way that I'm able to operate in this. Like, <laughs> if, if you want my opinion, I think the Patriots should understand where they are, understand where their roster is, and basically say, let's take the next two years off. Let's cleanse the cap. Let's get some veterans out. out. Let's get some young guys in there. And let's be ready to slingshot our winning window once Rodgers retires from the Jets. Uh, I think that Miami, for as good as they are, it could be a volatile situation. And then, you know, Buffalo, I think, is built pretty healthily at the top. But this is a division where it's talented enough where you can get two playoff teams in there. And so if if I'm the Patriots, I'm going into rebuild mode. But that's really easy for me to say here in my computer chair office than it is to, like, actually be in charge of a team and be Bill, Bill, Bill Belichick and... Um, have the pedigree that he does. So I don't think they're going to do that. That's just what it feels like would be most advantageous to them is maybe like take the next two years to really cleanse the roster, the cap, all that stuff, and uh, slingshot your winning window in in, in, a, in a year or two. Let's, uh, let's just take a beat to give you credit for the term cleanse the cap. That's a phenomenal phrase that I haven't heard mm. before. I think that's outstanding. Um, all right. Well, I if 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 you like it, then uh, then I I've thought of it all along, and I was planning to use it here on the show, and I've coined it, and it's trademarked, and nobody else can use it. Absolutely, that's the second phrase I've heard tra- term or coined. I think that I'd never heard before in the last couple of days. Ben Stockwell used the term data drift to Ooh. articulate, you know, instead of whatever certain factors just sort of lead you going off the straight and narrow, right? You just start heading in a certain direction with the data. And yeah. it just starts going in that direct data drift, I think is a great term as well. So, okay. look, I'm working on the basis that the Jets are getting Aaron Rodgers. Let's say that's yep. done, that's happening, even if it hasn't actually been worked out yet. With Rodgers on the roster, what do the Jets need? I mean, it's I mean, it's just O-line, right? I mean, O-line is just where they have to look. I, I think the defensive line is, is certainly solid right now. I think they've got... Obviously, Quentin Williams has been fantastic. I think the Carl Lawson's still got more left in the tank to prove. Um, like what I saw from Bryce Huff is a situational pass rusher last year. They got their linebacker unit solidified. They had the best cornerback duo in football in DJ Reed and, and, and Sauce Garner last year. You bring in Chuck Clark. You still got Jordan Whitehead. Maybe upgraded safety if you want something like that. But wide receiver room seems to really be changing. Elijah Moore's out of there, but they've still got Garrett Wilson. They signed Alan Lazar. They've got Miko Hardman. They're in talks with Odell Beckham Jr., right? And so... You're getting Brees Hall back, who was fantastic before he got hurt. It's just all on the offensive line. I mean, Mekhi Becton, you would love for him to come back and be healthy and be dominant, but how much can you really count on that? Dwayne Brown getting up there in age, even if he's available, is he going to be able to play a full season? Probably not. You know, I think that Elijah Vera Tucker you like, but interior offensive line as well as a guy that when we talked about that versatility, an interior player who could also play at offensive tackle for you or shoot even just drafting a high-priced offensive tackle at number 13 overall, that's what's worth it. It's just O-line, O-line, O-line. How many times did we say last year that if if the Jets even had just average quarterback play, this is a playoff team, yep. right? And now we're talking about Aaron Rodgers being plopped into this situation, hopefully an even better receiving core. If you just make sure that offensive line is what it is, and you could tell me that Brees Hall is going to come back and look somewhat like what he did last year, this is, again, in one of the toughest divisions in football, a team that can contend 
for a division title, for a for number one overall seed, and for a long playoff journey. So that's kind of where I see the Jets. No, I agree. I, I think the offensive line should be better than it was a year ago because it's probably unlikely to be as injured as it was last season. But sure, right. Right. It's definitely like nothing else matters almost than making sure that exists in a in a good state because they've already done the work with wide receiver. Garrett Wilson is there. Um, you know, they they brought in bodies, they brought in the the Alan Lazard to, to make Rogers happy. They brought in Miko Hardman, right, to to add to that team. Like they've got guys that should be able to form a really good wide receiver group for Rogers to throw to. Brees Hall, as you said, in the backfield, like that should be a really good collection of skill position players but the Rodgers thing is not without risk if because he's there's no sign that Rodgers is slowing down right he's what 38 Mm -hmm. 39 something like that Um, yeah I think he's I think he's 39 there's there's no obvious sign of decline the way there is sometimes with these older quarterbacks but he is at the age now where you have to sort of think is he reaching the point where he needs more help than he used to and maybe last season was a sign of that, that, hey, his wide receivers were bad and Rodgers' performance dipped massively. Now, it dipped to the same degree that it did in 2015 when he also had a bad wide receiver room. So I'm not saying it's like for like, but you know, we've seen in recent seasons now that quarterbacks that are old, still capable of playing at a really high level – maybe still need more help than they used to you know I don't think those two things are necessarily mutually exclusive that just because you need more help than you used to doesn't mean that you can't still play at a really really high level but like Tom Brady the final season was not the same guy Philip Rivers was still able to play well but needed more offensive line help Matt Ryan Mm -hmm. when that offensive line fell apart just couldn't play anymore yeah Rodgers at this stage 39 years old I think still capable of playing at an elite level, but I definitely want to make sure that he has a really good offensive line in front of him. Yeah, so two of those, two out of those three examples, I can't remember Philip Rivers' offensive line exactly when he was in Indy, but two of those three examples, you mentioned Tom Brady's last year in Tampa, and you mentioned Matt Ryan's last year in Indianapolis. Both of the offensive lines are what let those guys down. Right. You look at the year. You look at the year prior. Sure, I, I get it. Five times undefeated, and once you start to decline, like that decline can sometimes really go off hard. But Matt Ryan played good football the year before in Atlanta. Like Matt Ryan was good. If that offensive line in Indianapolis wasn't terrible, Matt Ryan could have been a lot better for that team. I think the same with the offensive line in Tampa last year with Tom Brady, because. What I've seen, certainly from those two examples and some other veteran examples that we've seen throughout the league, is with these older quarterbacks, yes, the arm and the zip kind of starts to go for some of these guys, but for the ones that it seems like they're lasting a little bit longer, the ones who really take care of their body, it's not the arm that goes for them. It's everything else. They don't like getting hit. Like, they don't like being in the cold tub. They don't like the rehab for everything else. Oh, they got hit on the other shoulder. Oh, they got a bad bruise on their leg. Oh, they got like, you know, they they did something with their ankle. They just, these older guys don't like getting hit. And so if you would have put Tom Brady's Super Bowl offensive line in front of him last year, that's a different Bucs team. Like, I, I truly think that Brady's a lot closer to the Brady that we think of than what we saw last year. I think the same for Matt Ryan. If that offensive line was what it was supposed to be, that Colts team wins the division and we're talking about it in a different light. With Aaron Rodgers, that's why it's all offensive line, everything for the New York Jets, because he he's not going to want to take all this punishment. 
at 39 years old. And, and it's it's not just the – I think the arm is fine. I watched it last year. Handful of throws where you go, bam, that's Rodgers. Like, he's still got it. It's everything else. The dude just doesn't want to get hit. He doesn't want to be running for his life. That's the part of being an aging quarterback that I think people don't talk about enough. And that's why offensive line, even more so than maybe pass catchers, matters to me with these with these great aging veteran quarterbacks. You, you just got to solidify the things up front. And look, as an older person, let me prepare you for this for a few years' time because you're going to discover that when you get injured, it takes longer to heal. Like there's a reason those guys don't want to get hit as much as they got hit when they were right. 25 and your body was elastic and just healed itself like a miracle in a couple of days. When you're 40 or 39, you know, you're you're going to hit something, it's going to hurt and then it's going to hurt for weeks and it's not going to heal. And you're like, what the hell is wrong with me? I am slowly dying at at the age of 40. That's what Rodgers is going to be going through. So, I don't blame them. They don't want to get hit. They shouldn't want to get hit because right. it's different. Uh, and look, I've been I've been uh making the point that I think offensive every quarterback needs help, right? This is not a unique thing to older quarterbacks, but I do mm-hmm. think that these there is a trend in recent years now of aging quarterbacks um, needing protection more than younger quarterbacks. I think, and not just younger quarterbacks, but younger versions of themselves. Philip Rivers was maybe the best example of that, where his offensive line was garbage with the Chargers for like 15 years, and he just played at an amazing level, and it didn't matter. And then once he reached a certain age, that was no longer true. Like he needed that offensive line in a way he didn't earlier in his career. So I, I'm not saying that Rodgers is unique in needing this protection, but I'm saying that the older he gets, the bigger a concern it would be for me to get fixed. And anyway, the long way round to saying I agree with you 100%. The Jets need offensive line help to the exclusion of basically anything else from now until day one. Um, Let's go to the AFC North, and let's start with Baltimore with the obvious massive specter of Lamar Jackson hanging over this entire thing. Yeah, I mean, if if I mean, obviously, if they don't get Lamar Jackson back, quarterback becomes <laughs> number one without question for this team. And, and I don't know, it, it doesn't. I, Lamar seems pretty pissed about his situation in Baltimore, but at the end of the day, he's still got the franchise tag. So until they figure something out and, and somebody else offers him a contract or. The Ravens say no. Like I think that he's going to be on the team next year. So I don't have quarterback on the the, the list of needs. I went elsewhere. I went to the two skill position players. The Calais Campbell release was a little surprising to me. So I think defensive line probably could have been on this list probably at the end. But corner is still a big deal. I mean, no Marcus Peters under contract. So outside corner, I think is huge for them. Definitely need an upgrade there. This is a Deontay Banks, Joey Porter Jr. spot, like something like that, I think makes a lot of sense for them in the first round, as well as wide receiver, right? Rashad Bateman, we saw some 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 tweets about how, uh, yeah. you know, maybe usage and offensive emphasis was not what it needed to be over the last couple of years. And I, I like as much as they get Mark Andrews involved because he does continually reward them. And he is one of those tight ends that can be a number one passing option for teams. We've certainly seen that. Um, over the last couple of years when he's been out there, but they still need another piece. I think they need a really reliable piece as well. Hey, Rashad Bateman, yes, he could play as an over-the-middle kind of slot guy, but I think he is a really just good all-around wide receiver. So I, I think that it gives the Ravens some flexibility to pick 
a different type of wide receiver if they wanted a Quentin Johnson. Certainly, I like the fact that they'd get a big body, a speedy guy, and after the catch, to the line of scrimmage kind of a player. But if they wanted like a Jackson Smith and Jigba or a Zay Flowers, I think that makes sense for them as well. So corner and wide receiver, those are the two areas, although I think the defensive line could get a look as well. Yeah, I think you pretty much nailed it. Like the, the defensive line, I think, could definitely stand players to be added to it, but their needs are those wide receiver and cornerback spots. And yeah, they, like they've needed wide receiver for years, obviously, but it's a bigger need now, I think, than it used to be because in theory, the offense is changing. We've gone to a new offense coordinator for the first time in Lamar Jackson's time there. Um, you know, Todd Munkin comes in. Any shift in that offensive scheme and that offensive philosophy is going to be tilting towards wide receiver heavy versus tight end heavy. Like anything they do is going to move in that direction. So as much as it was a need anyway, it's you're only intensifying that need by the shift in offensive scheme. Mm-hmm. I agree. No, Munkin, somebody who certainly during his time in Tampa, I got to cover him when he was the offense coordinator under Dirk Cutter, and they were just very vertical in everything that they did. They're uh, multiple receiving threats. They're multiple receiving tight ends. They did use multi-tight end packages a lot, um, and so I, I wonder if that's something they're going to continue to do. Obviously, that's something that he did when he was at Georgia as well, having um, Darnell Washington, having Brock Bowers there over the last couple of years. Um, but just getting at least three wide receivers on the field or three major pass catchers on the field at one time, that's been the Todd Munkin special. He's just all about scoring a lot of points, getting some skill position players. So I think that'll be high on the table too. Yeah, so Baltimore's pretty easy. Let's move on to Cincinnati. What do the Bengals need? Well, I think tight end, right? Uh, moving on from Hayden Hurst, not getting him back. I think that he's... He certainly leaves a hole for them. So a top-tier tight end, I think that back into the first round, that makes a lot of sense for them. A Michael Mayer, a Darnell Washington, a Dalton Kincaid, if one of those guys are available. I think the tight end certainly on the board. Love what they did getting Orlando Brown Jr. in there and and kind of making the statement going back to the conversation that we were having earlier. The job's never finished, if you will, building a wall in front of Joe Burrow. You know, that it, it, it's just if they can upgrade in that area, they've shown that they will do it over the last couple of years. So I really liked their thought process there, their aggressiveness there. So I like that ad. Corner could be a need for this Cincinnati team. Um, maybe you want another guy in to 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 roll with Chidobi Wuzier, to roll with Cam Taylor Britt. I know they've got Mike Hilton as a nickel guy, so I don't think they need anything in the nickel. Losing both of their safeties definitely hurts. Yeah. Uh, I like Dax Hill, though, so I think that Dax Hill can be a guy who could step in and really help them. But certainly safety is going to give them a decent look as well, depending on how they want to deploy Dax Hill. If they want Dax Hill to be more of a free safety with all of his athleticism, or if they want him to be a guy who can kind of come down and cover the slot a little bit more, help out Mike Hilton, be versatile in that way. So just kind of depends what kind of safety prospect they would look for to, uh, to replenish that secondary. But that's kind of where I would look. Tight end, maybe offensive line, if the right one is still there for them at the back end of the first round. But then if not, maybe a corner secondary player or a safety player, I should say, whoever's kind of on the board, letting the board fall to you in that regard. Yeah, I definitely like to see them add an off a right tackle at some point, you know, just somebody that you think could play there because Lyle Collins wasn't great last year, particularly from a pass mm-hmm. blocking standpoint, is obviously coming off an injury as well, a significant injury. So has to be seen as a fairly major question mark. And Hakeem Adeniji, 
it was just a bad right tackle. Like, we've seen that enough now. We don't yeah. need to see it again. If that's the plan, again, we already know how that's going to go. Um, what was it, The what, what was it though? Like, the Bills game? Did he have the game of his life? Was it, was it, I I think it was that Bills game <laughs> where, where we where we all thought that the Bengals offensive line was going to get eaten alive, and then all of a sudden it's like all five of them just played the best game they've ever played. Yeah, like, you know, we, we know that, we just know how that story plays out if you're Cincinnati. And again, a team that is in a Super Bowl window now, Mm-hmm. You can't have any scenario where you think you're going to be relying on a Denji for any period of time at right tackle. Um, Jackson Carmen, I know, had to kick out and play left tackle for a few games uh, at the end of last season. It went okay, but I don't know if you oh, asked No, was, I think it was Carmen. I think I'm thinking Carmen of Carmen did. playing yeah, yeah. Against, against the Bills, and he was like unbelievable. And it's like, all right, well, maybe they got something here. And then it's like, right. all right, okay. Maybe. So, I mean, that went okay. I don't know if you want to ask him to flip over and try that at right tackle again, certainly not without like an entire off season of kind of strategizing that out. So if you could just add, I, I don't think they're going to go hard after that, given what they've already committed to the offensive line. But if they added, you know, a mid round draft pick, just to increase your chances that right tackle would be okay. If an injury occurred, but yeah, tight end is the obvious thing. Michael Mayer at the end of the first round for them, I think would be great value, great pick. Like I I'm a little bit lower on Mayer than I thought I would be heading into the heading into his tape effectively, given the kind of mm-hmm. buzz that had been around him mm-hmm. um, and the kind of talk and, and how he compared to Dalton Kincaid. But at the back end of the first round, given Cincinnati basically doesn't have tight ends right now, would be phenomenal for them, I think. I, I think Darnell Washington is the same thing. I think, honestly, honestly, I think that Darnell Washington would be like my number one realistic target for the Bengals really? because he blocks like an animal. Um, he's a he's crazy athletic for his size. He's like that additional six offensive lineman when you put him on the line of scrimmage. But like Mayer can be the same thing, right? Mayer's a really solid blocker. He he approaches blocking with the mentality that you want. He's a good, reliable receiver. It's just that Darnell Washington is bigger faster stronger so it's like that's why i'd have washington as probably my number one player for cincinnati to acquire at the back end of the first round realistically of course then you throw in mayor maybe some offensive linemen like dewan jones uh darnell wright these guys who are right tackles at a college who you might be able to draft and play so obviously you think like washington could get into the first round just just by the way you're talking but you think he brings that much juice as a receiver um to to justify that draft spot for the Bengals, yeah. For the Bengals. I, I'm not so sure that like every team would want to draft him and have him try to be this like focal point tight end one. But for the Bengals specifically, again, going back to kind of the conversations that we had about the AFC East teams, they're not just weighing themselves against the average. They are trying to now get those little X factors throughout the roster against these other playoff teams. And to me... Darnell Washington, where he might not give you as many like snaps as a guy like uh, Michael Mayer would. Like Michael Mayer might be a little bit more of a focal point in the passing game, right? Dalton Kincaid is probably a little bit more of a focal point in the passing game just because those guys are more natural and more utilized, more experienced at receiver. But for what Darnell Washington does for you, like I'm also thinking of a world where Maybe next year, maybe the year after that, Darnell Washington might be your most played tight end. He might technically be your tight end one. But let's say they have an opportunity to, you know, let's go back to uh, even a couple of weeks ago. Darren Waller becomes available from trade, right? Let's say that would have happened a year from now. They draft Darnell Washington in the first round of this year's draft. 
Now, all of a sudden, if you're the Cincinnati Bengals and you set up your offense where you get a really good receiving tight end, Darren Waller, for example, and you also have Darnell Washington on the team, that's elite 12 personnel usage to me that you can that you could do, which is something that would put the Bengals ahead of other playoff caliber teams to give you this major difference. So whether he is your tight end one for the short term and then he is your tight end two in one of the best tight end rooms in the NFL, I think that whatever you want to lean on Darnell Washington to be, he is unique. He is uniquely gifted enough of a player to make that happen, which is why I really love the pick for Cincinnati as a long-term outlook. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the fit. I think Darnell Washington on Cincinnati is a great combination. I just question the bottom of the first round value of putting him on that team without really knowing how much of an impact he can make in the passing game. Now, I ca- caveat that with I was really impressed with him at the Combine uh, not like the measurables and the size and blah, 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 but like the drills. Like he looked a lot more fluid. He's got more juice to him. Yeah, yeah. he looked a lot. It changed what I thought he was capable of looking at him mm-hmm. run through drills, which is probably not the smartest process in the world. But like sometimes I think that that happens. I, th- I thought the same thing for Sam Laporta, the, the Iowa tight end as well. Like yep. Those two guys performed in a way that changed what I thought of their tape and sort of sends me back to it. But uh, Darnell Washington had 70 targets in his college career. Six tight ends had more than that last season in college, including, by the way, like the top three guys, depending mm-hmm. on how you rank them, Mayer, mm-hmm. Kincaid, Laporta. Like all these guys had more sort of production within the offense just last season than we've ever seen from Darnell Washington. Now, obviously, he's dealing with you know an absolute freak show uh, as tight end one in his own offense at Georgia. Like, it's it's not really fair to sort of, you know, compare him to a dude that, that may be generational when he comes out. But it, it, when you're talking about spending a first-round pick on a guy, like, that's a big kind of unknown question mark. I, I, definitely, I definitely hear what you're saying. But again, for the Bengals specifically, I think, right. it, I think the value could make sense at the back end of the first round. Because you got to think about it, too. Going back to the T. Higgins conversation, if they're not getting rid of T. Higgins, they don't need a ton in the receiving game. They would just want an X-factor type of a player who could give them versatility for a tight end. And again, would that kind of player be worth it for every team? No, probably not. For the Bengals specifically, to me, it makes a ton of sense. You've already got Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd for now. Um, Obviously, the the prop bet god, Trent Irwin. Shout out Mike Quinn and Tyler Sobchak for that. And if you just throw in... Darnell Washington say, okay, he's going to give you elite ability as a blocker an additional sixth offensive lineman, if you will. And then also some plus in the passing game I, to me, that's worth it for Cincinnati. So yes. Okay. Uh, what about Cleveland? What do they need after making some, ma- making some definite improvements in free agency? Well, um, you get Dalvin Tomlinson, big, mm-hmm. you get Tristan Hill, big Murray's Hurst. I like, um, I like the one horn Thornhill signing wide receiver really would have been like, I, I felt like defensive line still could have been on the table as a major as, as it, one of their biggest needs. And, and maybe it still is, but I thought wide receiver as well. I looked at their unit and I was like, okay, well, Amari Cooper can't do it all alone. Um, not the biggest David Bell fan. Um, Donovan Peoples Jones is a really good athlete, but how reliable is he? Then they go out and they get Elijah Moore. Yeah. Okay. All right. Not bad. Like the Elijah Moore signing. So 
this is again, we looked at this Cleveland team last year and we said on paper, one of the best rosters in the NFL, it feels like. And it feels like they're kind of in that same area now. And defensive line and wide receiver continue to be areas where I would add they don't have premium picks, but that's probably the areas where I would look at. Even after some nice additions, uh, I think the first places that I would look would be pass catcher and the defensive line. Yeah, like it's tough because when you look at that defense, personnel-wise, it was way better last year than it actually played. You know what I mean? Like all the way through the season, you were sort of looking at and going, why right. is this defense this bad? Particularly in the secondary, there's a ton of good players and they're just not playing up to that standard. So when you're sort of looking at it in the offseason and you're like, what do we need? Where do we need to get better? You're like, well, it, it kind of depends if I'm getting the player that I think I'm getting in the back end or if I'm getting the guy that played the way he played last season, which is not necessarily the same. To me, though, their most glaring need is that three-tech defensive tackle, like the the consistent pass-rushing, penetrating type of defensive tackle that Jordan Elliott was supposed to be, that mm-hmm. Maurice Hurst that we thought he would be coming into the draft, but neither one of those guys has necessarily been that. Some combination of those two guys is still starting right now, and that is not a good thing. Yeah, and they don't pick until the third round now. So they got two third-round picks two fourth-round picks, two fifth-round picks, sixth and a seventh. So are you really going to get a really dominant three-technique player in the third round at 74 with that Jets pick that they just acquired from the Elijah Moore trade? I don't know. Probably not. So, uh, it's, again, this is this is a really good roster. They just need to play better, I think. But the needs, <laughs> I'd probably say, still wide receiver, defensive line, getting some pass rush in yeah. there. It's also like when you're in that sort of situation, though, like double down on that position. Like just draft two of them, hope one of them works out. And, and then that's a, that's all you can do, right? Like sometimes you see teams do that with sure. receivers or corners in the mid-rounds. We need a guy to come in, be this spot. Let's take two of them and hope one of them works out based off the the, the odds, you know, based off the, the, the uh, percentile chances that these guys are going to become players. Maybe it doesn't, but that's pretty much all you can do given the situation that they're in without those premium top-end draft picks. Pittsburgh. I agree. Pittsburgh Steelers. O-line, for sure. Um, bring in Nate Herbig, which is fine, but could definitely use another offensive tackle. Uh, the offensive tackle group just did not play well enough last year. So I, I think that 17, we've had them pick an offensive tackle a lot when we've done our mock draft simulations, and I don't think that's really going to change too much. They didn't... I, I, I think they have some flexibility here because... Tackle core four plays right tackle for them. He played left tackle at Western Michigan. So I feel as though if Dan Moore, if you really think that he is your weak link in the offense. Oh, um, Isaac Sumelo. I, I forgot that they signed him as right. well. So I wanted to shout that out too. Mm-hmm. Um, so they upgraded a little bit on the interior, but I think one of those offensive tackle spots, Dan Moore Jr. just did not play well at left tackle. You have the flexibility to, if you like a guy like Darnell Wright, if you like a guy like DeJuan Jones, these right tackle exclusive college players, I still think Pittsburgh has the ability to draft one of those at number 17 overall and kick Okorafor over to left tackle because he played it before he played it over at Western Michigan. So I think that's a major need for them. I think that they definitely have to look at that. Pittsburgh fans have told me that the motto for this offseason is build the picket fence in front of Kenny Pickett. So. That's, I guess, like the hashtag that they're going with. But then I also think corner is a major need for him. Corner was the yeah. biggest defensive need, it felt like, going into free agency. They signed Patrick Peterson, but 
that doesn't deter them from taking a corner um, in round one. So at 17, it's it's either an offensive tackle or a corner still for Pittsburgh. Yeah, I think corner is a huge need. Patrick Peterson had a re- renaissance year last season. I don't know that I necessarily love the scheme fit there, but even if you do, given his age, it's only future-proofing, right? It's only smart to, to add that, and that's assuming that this guy would be succeeding Patrick Peterson. They still have a an open or a you know, very attainable spot opposite Patrick Peterson in terms of starter. Yeah, I, I I think corner is a huge need for this team and has been for a while now. So absolutely, that's where I'd be looking. Offensive line, I get it. I, I mean, I think their interior is now good between, say, Amalo, James Daniels, Mason Cole. I think that's fine. Um, I definitely think they could upgrade at offensive tackle. I'm not sure I'd I'm not sure it's a glaring problem, though. Like, I think their offensive line is okay. If you want to go in a different direction and this was the starting five that you were going into the season with, I'd be okay with that. I would definitely say Dan Moore is your weakest link, but not problematically so. Like, there are definitely that's, way worse starting tackles. That's what I'm saying. You know, if if you got the chance to pick a really damn good offensive tackle at 17, yeah, I'd probably look in that direction. But I also think that obviously it, it's a strong corner class, so they're going to be tempted at 17 with a guy like, I don't know, maybe Joey Porter Jr. is still on the board at 17. Deontay Banks is probably still there as well. Um, I see, maybe Devon Witherspoon, depending on what the NFL thinks of the, the height and the size of him. So I think they'll be tempted by corner um, in the middle of the first round. But it's one of those two positions, if you ask me. All right, AFC South. Starting off with the Houston Texans. <laughs> How far into this are we? What do they still need? Okay, so let me make sure I've got all the Houston moves correct. Okay, so Jimmy Ward, Sheldon Rankins, Robert Woods, Shaq Mason. Like them. I like all the moves. I think that they made some pretty decent moves in Houston. Of course, uh, quarterback is the number one position of need right now we assume that they're going to fill that at number two overall with one of the top cornerbacks quarterbacks in the class but they've got an extra first round pick and they've got some extra draft capital after that as well robert woods for as much as i like him i I like noah brown as well these aren't major difference makers at wide receiver i think that wide receiver has to be on the table getting that premier playmaker especially after trading brandon cooks we figured that that was going to be the case he seemed disgruntled it didn't seem like that he wanted to be there he ends up leaving and going to the uh the Dallas Cowboys in a trade. They didn't get a ton back for him just because it's an you know it's an it's an aging wide receiver who kind of wanted out anyways. I can't imagine they really had much leverage in that deal. But wide receiver is still on the table for them. And defensive line has to really be on the table for the Houston Texans just because look, John Grenard, Jerry Hughes, Sheldon Rankins, Malik Collins is on this team. They've got Roy Lopez who I like as a depth defensive lineman. They signed Chase Winovich I, I I still like Derek Rivers a little bit here. They signed Hassan Ridgeway. Like it's a lot of names to have on the defensive line. But oh, what defensive line were we talking about? Oh, we were talking about this a little bit like Buffalo. Now Buffalo's defensive line is is much better than Houston's, but it's to the point where you're missing those that impact player, those real heavy impact right. kind of a player. So that's where I would look if, if I'm the Houston Texans. It all starts at quarterback, but we figured that box is going to be checked at number two overall. Wide receiver, massive playmaker need that they have in that category, especially moving on from Cooks. And then defensive line, you got to really start beefing up the front, which I don't doubt 
that uh, D'Amico Ryans is going to be hesitant to do. So that's what I see when I see Houston. It's funny because they're still going. Like you you listed off a bunch of signings they've already made. They bring in linebackers, Corey Littleton, Denzel Perriman as well. Like they just keep bringing in guys constantly. Oh, Denzel all... Perriman's the perfect D'Amico Ryans linebacker. Yeah, they just bring in all the bodies and hope that enough of them work out that this team propels itself in a positive direction at some point. Um, and it's very difficult to tell which ones are going to work out. But, yeah, like obviously quarterback is their biggest need and one that we assume is going to be filled with that top overall pick. The question for them is, like, what do you do at 12, right? Do you mm-hmm. bring in the best wide receiver, maybe the top wide receiver off the board at that point, to pair with whatever quarterback you're taking? Do you attack the offensive line, which still needs some work? Um, do you try and hit the defensive line with what could be the top defensive interior guy off the board or, uh, you know, one of the top edge rushers? Like, that's, I think, their biggest question mark is essentially which player ends up being making the most sense for them at 12 overall for their their first kind of big question. Yep, I I would probably lean defensive line. Um, I think offensive line, too. I, I, I didn't have this on there as like a major need, but I think that investing in the offensive line could be could be really big for them because if you look at their depth chart, well, let me pull up the tab. So they bring, well, I guess, I guess with them bringing in Shaq Mason, you could probably take offensive line off the table for the first round because they've got Laramie Tunsil. They brought him back. They extended yeah. him. They draft Kenyon Green in the first round last year. They bring back Shaq Mason, who was good last year for the Bucks. You got Titus Howard as well at right tackle. And so they're probably set on offensive line. So I guess I take that back. I think it'll be just that wide receiver one or, or one of the better defensive linemen in the draft at 12. Offensive line for them, like they pick it because obviously with with given their draft position, they've got some real premium picks, obviously 12 overall from the Deshaun Watson thing, but they then come back with 33 with their top pick in the second round. They've got 65. Like these are, these are positions where you could draft a center, you know, and, and come in because that's essentially yes. the, that's the position yes. they really need on that offensive line. Theoretically, they need a guard as well, but you have to assume they're going to give Kenyon Green another year to figure yeah, out yeah. if he was the right pick or not. So center is where they really need that upgrade, and that's that's a pick for lower down, not in the first round, obviously. Um, but in with their pick number twelve, like that's where you could end up with an impact defensive lineman. That's where you could end up with maybe the best or the top wide receiver off the board. Those would be the two spots I think that they have to be looking at. I agree. Nice. Indianapolis. Uh, QB, of course, right? We got to start there as well. Yep. So the team's got the number four overall pick. They signed Gardner Minshew. All due respect to Gardner <laughs> Minshew. I still think they're going to look for a quarterback at the top of the first round of the draft, whether it's at number four overall, whether they get spicy and trade up a spot with the Cardinals, whoever it's going to be, CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis. It's going to be somebody. It has to be somebody yeah. there because quarterback is is their number one need, as we've seen over the last couple of years. They can't just do the veteran thing anymore. And, and so... We figure a new quarterback is coming in on this team. Offensive line, of course, like offensive line just really underperformed for this unit. Now, it was one of the higher paid offensive lines in the NFL. So how much flexibility you really have there to make a lot of different moves. Um, But they just simply have to play better, like the conversation that we had earlier in the show. And then corner, right? You're moving on from... from, Stephon Gilmore, and mm-hmm. you trading Stephon Gilmore to Dallas, which Dallas loved the moves for both Stephon Gilmore and Brandon Cooks, by the way. So yeah. I know that we're not talking NFC team, so I just wanted to shout that out. I actually really love those veteran moves from Dallas there. They move on from Stephon Gilmore, and that leaves 
Dallas Flowers, Isaiah Rogers. Who's good? I like Isaiah Rogers. Uh, Kenny Moore. Those are your projected starters, I think, on the outside. So I, I think that, that you're really looking at corner as well for them. Certainly not at number four overall, but um, with any one of those uh, later picks after the first round, I think those are the positions you're looking for. So let's let's talk through the their quarterback um, conundrum at the top of the draft. We've talked this through a bit, obviously myself and Steve, but you're somebody we haven't heard from. So what is their ideal scenario? Like who who should be their guy? Uh, when they're targeting a quarterback, should they be thinking about trading up? Um, or do they want to just sit there and take whatever's available? I don't like the idea of stay, just staying where you're at, right? Especially with Indianapolis the way that they are. I, I think that Indy, Indy was my front runner to trade at number one overall. I, th- I thought that they should have. They should have been in the driver's seat for that, right? Because even if Chicago would have been okay with picking number nine overall, I would have, like, if I was the Colts, I would have even encouraged the Bears trade with us at four, get to four, and then trade down with somebody else. Give Because Carolina, if Carolina, we know that they need a quarterback, right? If you're picking at number four overall and you like all four of these quarterbacks, like it sounds like the Panthers have tried to tell us since trading to number one overall, right? We like all these guys. We, we're comfortable with all these guys. We're just going to do our research. We're going to do our uh, our homework to make sure that we're picking the right one at number one overall. If you like that, they theoretically maybe could have jumped from nine to four. So I, I, I feel as though the Colts should have been picking number one overall. They should have given the Bears what they needed and I don't know the exact conversations that were going on behind the scenes, but I have to imagine saying to the Bears, we will jump from one to four as opposed to one to nine is a major difference. And it should have been a chess piece that they could have had in the negotiations. So I feel like the Colts should have always been the ones to go up to number one overall. They don't. Now they're in an interesting spot because if you don't trade to three, which seems annoying, right? It seems <laughs> annoying to move from four to three. But if you don't trade to three, you leave the door open for the Raiders at seven, the Falcons at eight, the Titans at 11, the Commanders at 16, and whoever else might want to get in on the conversation to move up to three for either a quarterback or even Will Anderson. So, I don't know. It it. I think Indianapolis should have moved up to number one. Well, so, and I feel like a, a disappointed parent that they didn't. Um, <laughs> but here's I don't the know scenario. what the negotiations were like, but that's I think they should have moved up to number one. So I also feel like they should pay what it costs, whether it's two third round picks or whatever, to guarantee that they have the pick of two of these quarterbacks that they like. Here's- because the problem is now that they're sitting at number four. What if there's a quarterback they don't like? Of right. the four, right? What if they what if they just straight up don't like Will Levis? What if they don't like Anthony Richardson? Right? What if they don't like one of these quarterbacks and all that's the only one that's available for them at four? Are they gonna draft a player that they don't believe in at number four just for optics? Because if that's the case, the current regime, they might as well pack their bags now. It's just not gonna work out. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's why I think the Colts are in a very frustrating situation, but I think they're in a situation where they need to trade up to number three overall to guarantee that they can get 
they have they can have more control to go up and get the guy that they want. There's also a scenario where the stuff that Carolina has been pushing on everybody, hey, we like all these guys, we just wanted control, we're we're happy with this situation. Like there's a potential world where trading to number one is still on the table. Carolina could trade up to number one from nine and then be comfortable with trading back to four if they like all these quarterbacks or if they think that that's still a decent enough deal when they when when it's all worked out like Indy could theoretically still trade up to one if we think the Carolina is actually telling the truth with all that stuff alternatively they sent somewhere between 11 and 14 people depending on who you believe to CJ Stroud's pro day and Josh McCown looked like he just adopted CJ Stroud when he was you know, dapping him up, giving him hugs, and, and inviting him to a horse game and all that kind of stuff. So, like, <laughs> it looks like Carolina is drafting C.J. Stroud. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's that's that seems like that's the case. Although I'm not going to take Bryce Young off the table. He's the best player in college football over the last two years. He plays the most important position, and he played it incredibly well. So I'm not going to take him off the table. But I do think Carolina likes C.J. Stroud a lot. Which is, but it's also, I mean, look. On the one hand, if you're Carolina. If you're drafting C.J. Stroud, there's no reason to hide that, right? Because you control the number one overall pick. You can do it. Nobody can stop you. On the other hand, if you aren't thinking of drafting him, putting it out there that you love this guy and you're going to take him at number one is probably not a bad thing because anybody else that loves C.J. Stroud now knows the only way of getting him would be to trade with you, right? So if they were playing this... 3D, you know, 3D chess game, 4D chess game, um, where they're trying to trade up just to have control and then be able to trade back in the net of that, they end up ahead and they get the quarterback. Convincing a team that loves C.J. Stroud that you also love C.J. Stroud can only, you know, increase any trade offer that would come along. Seems like a lot of work when you could just take the quarterback that you paid the price for to get up to number one overall. But, but what if you could I end up? What, you're saying. what if you could end up with that guy and a trade haul? Like you know, I, get back most of what you paid to get to one yeah, in the first but, place. Yeah, but the problem the the problem becomes, especially if you're moving back to four, right? You have to be so confident in your intel that you have from other teams. That Houston doesn't love the guy that you're going to take. Right. That somebody else isn't going to trade up to number three to go get the guy that you to to get the guy that you want to take. And how many stories have we heard of owners or head coaches or whoever just kicking open the door on draft day and being like, "Nope, we're taking this guy out of nowhere." And I just feel like if if you're Carolina, to me a trade down is is way playing with way too much fire especially for what you gave up to go from 9 to 1 i understand wanting to have your cake and eat it too but i think that you've got to be okay with paying the price that you did to go up to get, have the right to take the best quarterback in the draft and i i i wouldn't mess with it although of course if you could pull it off <laughs> Scott Fitterer and David Tepper would uh, would 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 look like geniuses. So your plan, anyway, this all started with us talking about what the Colts should do. Your plan for them was to suck it up. You have to trade to three to make sure yep. that you get the quarterback. And yep. if we assume Stroud and Young are going one two in some order, who's your guy? I'd I'd take Richardson. I'd take I'd take Richardson at three. And it's it's kind of crazy that we're talking about this. Um, I graduated from the University of Florida. I watched every Anthony Richardson game that there is, and um. Unre- just truly an unreal talent, but he is a decent 
ways away. And like you can start Gardner Minshew for all of next season while you really work with Anthony Richardson. I think that that's the situation that he would need. And Shane Steichen's coming from an offense that obviously can use uh, a quarterback's athletic ability with his legs, whether it's quarterback sneaks, whether it's just built-in escapability, whether it's things like that that Jalen's been able to do. But I've also really enjoyed, even beyond that dual threat ability, uh, just how much better of a passer Jalen has gotten over the last couple of years, how much more consistent he has been, how much more comfortable in the pocket he has been. And I think that uh, that's a connection that I would love to make with those two guys. So um, I'd be, if, if I'm the Colts and I'm trading up to number three, I'm probably taking Richardson. Yeah. Do you think that he needs to sit for that year or can they run the Jalen Hurts game plan, which is, look, we're going to lean heavy on your running ability for years one, years one and two, and that's going to buy you the time for us to work in your passing. Like the passing is going to suck for the first year or two. It's going to be rough. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of, you know, ups and downs, but we don't, we, we think there's enough there from, from an athletic standpoint, from a rushing standpoint that we can get by on that without having to basically sit you on the bench and learn from the sideline. Yeah, it depends because uh, we, we talk about this like timeline for quarterbacks as if it's a magical thing. Oh, they sit. They're for sure going to be good. Right. For me, when I listen to players and I listen to people who have played the game, they always say the same thing. There's nothing like live bullets. And they mean there's nothing like in-game regular season reps. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like it. No practice can simulate it no matter how uh, hard you're going or anything like that. So I think in that sense, the most important part of progression is playing these guys. But what you don't want to do is you can't throw them out there where their confidence becomes shot because of early struggles. And this is also big, developing bad habits simply to survive when they're playing before they're ready. If you can avoid those two things, I don't care when you play. If if you can guarantee to me that Anthony Richardson will not develop bad habits as he goes through struggles and that his confidence as a quarterback will not be shaken when he goes through struggles, you could play him week one. It doesn't matter. You know he's going to struggle right out of the gate. Every rookie quarterback struggles out of the gate. Trevor Lawrence struggled as a rookie right out of the gate, right? That's the part that does it. That's the part that I think that people are, they they don't take into account is like every single rookie quarterback will always struggle when you throw them out there. That's just, that should be the accepted understood. The thing that you want to avoid, developing bad habits and and shooting confidence. Whenever you get to a point as a coach and as a quarterback to where you can tell yourself that those two things won't happen, that you're comfortable with that, play them. Play them whenever that is, whether it's week whether it's week one, whether it's week four, whether it's week 16, whether it's year two. That to me is the important part of playing a quarterback right away and beyond just the Anthony Richardson conversation. That's the case for everybody. That's what I think. And and 50% of that is on the coaching, in my opinion. Like, it's on you to make sure that he doesn't develop the bad habits. That's something you can police over the course of the season with tape study, with, you know, all those kinds of things. The confidence thing, that's the gamble. Like, you have no control, essentially, over whether or not he's going to lose confidence by getting his ass kicked. But you should Mm -hmm. be able to control whether or not he's going to descend into these bad habits because you can pull them up on that stuff as as things go and make sure that doesn't happen so if it was me I mean I've been lobbying the whole way that I think the way the league is right now you don't need to sit this guy for a year like you can lean on the things that he's good at before he gets good at the things that you need him to be good at for the whole thing to work out long term 
But I think the pathway has been shown for guys like Jalen Hurts, like Justin Fields, like even Josh Allen to learn on the job, to be good at enough to get by and then get the rest figured out as you go. So if I'm Indianapolis or whoever and I'm drafting Anthony Richardson, I'm playing him week one unless I think the guy's confidence is going to collapse. And if I did think that, I'm probably not drafting him at the, the top of the draft, you know? Sure. That's fair too. All right. Jacksonville. Uh, CB2. I think he's huge for Jacksonville. Um, you know, you moved on from Chad Griffin. I thought Tyson Campbell took a major step forward last year, played really well in that regard. Um, but you need a CB2 opposite him. So I think that that position definitely opens up. Um, nickel, uh, like getting it, getting a different safety or a nickel hybrid player, like a Brian Branch could be available for them at the back end around run one. I think that I would like that if you don't like the corners that are on the board. Maybe offensive line depends, right? You lose, uh, you, you lose out on Jawan Taylor. He goes to the Kansas City Chiefs, but they do have Walker Little, and if they have confidence in Walker Little, which it feels like when I, whenever I've tried to mock an offensive lineman to the Jags, it feels like <laughs> some people who are, follow the team a little bit more closely go, no, 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 they have Walker Little, and it's like, all right, well, I guess he's going to get his shot now, right tackle, so we'll see how much they believe in him there, and then I would also guess, uh, I would also just throw out running back as well. They have Tra- Travis Etienne, they love Travis Etienne, he's a big home run kind of a player, but you want to, I think, diversify and 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 get the depth within the the running back rotation in there. You don't want Travis Etienne taking all the carries. You don't want him having all that punishment. You want to be able to get another running back in there that you've got some faith in. So I would say the CB2, maybe safety, uh, offensive line, and then running back for the Jags. Do you think that Darius Williams can be that cornerback too? Um, to me, slot corner is the bigger need. I think when they – like Darius Williams is one of those guys who's like 5'9", 190, right? He's tiny. So mm-hmm. – He's always, any new group is always going to go, oh, he's a slot corner. Like, you can't play on the outside at that size. Right. He's better outside than he is in the slot. Always has been. Like, he was an outside corner in college. He was better outside with the Rams. He's been better outside with the Jags. And once they moved him outside, it felt like we got a better version of that guy. I kind of feel like he can potentially be their corner, too. And then what they're really looking for is that slot guy that you talked about before, but I acknowledge that that is a gamble, and you know, generally what we preach is you don't want to be leaving yourself gambling on a, an important position. No, it makes sense. I think you always want to be investing resources in the secondary anyways just because there's uh, so many good wide receivers, so many good offensive coordinators around the league to where uh, you can't even just say like, oh, okay, like we've got our main three. Like You've got to have a pretty deep rotation of some talented guys that you could go to at any time. And so, um, I, no, I, I think that – any sort of starting CB, if you believe that a bigger upgrade is to be had on the outside opposite of of Tyson Campbell, or if you believe that the way the board falls to you, like I said, like if a Brian Branch is there for them, at, I think they pick at 24. Um, if, if Brian Branch is there and you go, this guy is going to be our starting nickel, then you probably draft him. It's probably more advantageous for you in that way. So it just depends how they view their room. This is, um, this is a story that I think has existed for Jacksonville for quite a period of time, so it's not by any means a given, but given where they ended up last season, given the trajectory that Trevor Lawrence is on, the addition of a guy like Calvin Ridley to that offense already, if some of those young players that they've drafted on defense can finally take that step forward, like mm-hmm. this team could be really good really quickly. You know, Trayvon like Walker, it, the number one overall pick. Devin Lloyd, if he just shows what he showed the first month of the season, not the last three months. Like, if one, if two of those guys pan out on defense and all of a sudden, like, that's a really good roster overall. 
I love. I mean, I I really love where they're going. I do. I love the way that they're building out this roster, and I I don't, especially with Calvin Ridley in there, who I think is going to be huge for them. Yeah. Uh, I I don't think they're that far away. Obviously, it's a team that made the playoffs in dramatic fashion last year. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs again. We'll see whether they win the division again or not. But um, I at least think. Even if they don't, I would still tell you that this roster feels like it's trending in the right direction. No, definitely. But it's like, you know, for the last few years, we've sort of been going, oh, if one of these edge rushers that they've drafted in the first round finally shows up and becomes the impact player that we thought they would be, blah, blah, blah. Whereas now it's like, okay, but if that actually happens, like this team can make real noise in the AFC, not just be better than bad, which has been the sort of the story for the last few seasons. So it is definitely... Like it's a whole different dynamic now that they're already starting off from this like playoff uh, baseline heading into 2023. Yep. Tennessee sort of starting the rebuild. So need more now than they did before free agency, maybe. Yeah. I don't love where the Titans are going. Um, I think that. Offensive line is, is still the major need for the Titans. I know they brought in Andre Dillard, but I, you still, in my opinion, need to prioritize offensive tackle, perhaps even at number 11 overall. They'll, I think, have a chance to draft a really good one. I think they'll probably either be able to get Paris Campbell, or sorry, Paris Johnson Jr., um, Broderick Jones, Peter Skaronsky. One of those guys I think is going to be available for them, uh, at least at number 11. So I think that you got to look long and hard at that, even with the Dillard and bronze skill additions that they had on the offensive line. Edge, I still think they need a, a, a good edge rusher, man. Um, I like Arden Key. I like them bringing in Arden Key. I like Aziz Al-Shahir at the linebacker spot. I think that Aziz Al-Shahir was the best LB3. It felt like in the NFL, felt like he was destined to get to a spot where he was given some more reps, some more responsibility in the middle that was outside of an incredible linebacker room that we saw in San Francisco. So like those additions, but still think getting more pass rush along the defensive line with Harold Landry. Hopefully we get a fully healthy Harold Landry, man. Um, I think that that's a a necessity for them. And then wide receiver. I just don't, I don't know what they're going to do at wide receiver. They got Kyle Phillips to have Nick Westbrook, Akine. They have Traylon Burks. I mean, they need so much more than that. And I think the biggest issue to me is what is Traylon Burks to them? Because they primarily played Traylon Burks on the outside as an outside wide receiver last year. Right. Traylon Burks played almost exclusively in the slot at Arkansas. He played over 1,300 snaps from the slot in his three years as a contributor for Arkansas. He only played 242 snaps on the outside. I know because I just looked this up the other day. Because a lot of people, because I think it was, who was it? Might have been Daniel Jeremiah who had Jackson Smith and Jigba as wide receiver off the board to the Titans. And you go, ooh, okay, good. Wide receiver talent's in there. You like that. But it depends. D- do they like what they saw out of Traylon Burks as an outside receiver last year? Or did they say, okay, we're going to draft you, and because you are six foot two, six foot three, 225 pounds, we believe you're an outside wide receiver. We're going to play you like that. Did he give them enough last year on the outside for them to be comfortable continuing to play him on the outside? Or are they going to go, all right, we liked what you were able to do at Arkansas in the slot a lot more. We're going to make you a slot player primarily moving forward because if that's the case, then you do, then you don't draft a guy like Jack Smith and Jigba. And then you probably have to look elsewhere for a different type of wide receiver. I think Cedric Tillman would be pretty fantastic for this team, by the way, just throwing it out there, maybe as a second, third, mid-round pick, whatever he's going to be. But that's that's the way that I look at their wide receiver room, and that's kind of look at their needs right now. Yeah, the Burks thing was 
a very interesting draft pick because he played he played athlete at Arkansas. Like it Correct. wasn't even it wasn't Correct. even as simple as they just had him as a slot receiver. Like they just right. and to Arkansas's credit, they did maybe the best job I've ever seen a college team do of getting the ball in the hands of by far their best playmaker in as many different ways as humanly possible. Like that was the mm-hmm. offense. How many mm-hmm. ways can we get Traylon Burks the ball? no matter what we have to do. And they were really, really good at it. Like, he lined up in the slot. He also lined up a tight end in the backfield, at quarterback. At what, like, however they could get him the ball, they got him the ball. But that's not NFL wide receiver play. And no. you need to figure they, out how that turns into NFL wide receiver play. And that feels like that was always going to be a difficult thing to do. And I don't know if they just looked at it like – hey, A.J. Brown spent most of his time in the slot at Ole Miss, and then we moved him outside and he was elite. So let's just do that again. Or if, you know, it just that's just coincidental. But, yeah, figuring out where he can get to as an NFL wide receiver is a pretty big challenge for them right now. Yep, I think that's the biggest question mark when it comes to wide receiver additions. Um, what are Tennessee doing generally? Like, have they started a real rebuild or is this one of those quote competitive rebuilds that we hear about all the time like what is the what is the approach right now Tennessee's in a weird spot right I I mean you just look at the last couple of years they overachieved down the stretch two years ago knocked the Patriots out of the playoffs they get to the AFC title game they get to the title game right uh, no, they the, were when they won short. They were division, the divisional round, right? Okay, so th- that was that was two years ago. But then, or maybe I'm t- I'm thinking three years ago. What, whatever, what, whatever the year was that they knocked out the Patriots, that they that they ended Tom Brady's career in New England. Like they had like that crazy year where they beat all these good team good teams down the stretch. The following year, they overachieved and they were the number one overall seed. Oh, and right, then, right, right, right. We, but we all knew that they were not that caliber of a dominant team in a, in a conference the way that the AFC was set up. So we all knew that there was going to be a regression a little bit, but the regression came so hard. They trade A.J. Brown. They lose out on that negotiation. They fire John Robinson in the middle of the season. The team absolutely tanks. And now they're in a situation where I don't think the roster's ready to compete in that conference, but they haven't exactly turned the page yet. And I think it all just – they can't rebuild until they move on from Ryan Tannehill. That's the thing. So as long as they have Ryan Tannehill on the team, they're going to be this, if you ask me, fool's gold type of competitor. They're going to think that they just need to stack wins and and do whatever they can and maximize what is a winning window, and I just don't think the roster's there. There were rumors about Derrick Henry hitting the trade market. There's rumors about Kevin Byard, you know, them making – uh, him take a pay cut or maybe he's going to be out of there. And it's like, I just don't, they're, they're moving in a bunch of different directions. Yeah. That's and to me, that's never a team that's ever going to succeed long-term. Yeah, Maybe like, they'll have a little spurts here and there where they can get it together. But I don't believe the Titans are in a spot to actually compete in the AFC. 2019, they did get to the AFC title game. 2020, yes. they were one and done in the wild card round. 2021 as the number one seed. They were one and done in the, in the divisional round. Um, but you're right, like the, the reports, all these moves that you hear about, Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, uh, Kevin Byard, these are all the moves that a full rebuild team would be making, right? And right. yet they haven't made them yet. We're just hearing 
that it might be happening. So it's sort of like it's like their fingers are hovering over the reset button, but they can't mm. quite bring themselves to, you know, to mash it. Like it needs to happen. They need to reboot this thing. They need to turn turn it off and on again and build it up, but they can't quite bring themselves to actually push the button yet. That's how it's felt like it's been for Tennessee for a while, but here we are. Right. Um, okay, last conference, or last division, rather, within mm-hmm. the conference, we head to the West. Uh, who's the first alphabetical team in the West? Where am I? I'm lost. Uh, Denver. Denver Broncos. Okay. Denver. Oh, I actually have to pull up all of Denver's signings for this one because there's a million of them. Okay, so Denver. Offensive line was an issue. They brought in Ben Powers, huge contract. Brought in Mike McGlinchey, huge contract. You brought in Chris Manhurst, good blocky tight end. You brought in Jared Stidham, goat. So Super Bowl is absolutely secured there. <laughs> they brought in Zach Allen, who I like, as a depth defensive piece. I like Samaj P. Ryan. Um, I like Michael Burton. I like Traymond Smith. Like I they they were busy. Denver is incredibly busy this free agency period, which is great. I still think they could use, even after the Alex Singleton re-signing, I still think they could use another impact linebacker. So if it, if linebacker makes sense for them when they finally come on the clock, because they don't have a pick until oh God, what's the number? It is uh, where's Denver here? They don't have a pick until 67. Yep. And then they pick 68 right after that. So you actually love to see that. A little back-to-back, a little, uh, <laughs> little hot corner for you for all those fantasy football people out there. So, all right, they're picking back-to-back 66 and 67. I think linebacker could still be an option for you. You could still get a really nice off-ball linebacker at that spot. Um, you'd pray that a Jack Campbell would last all the way to 67, but I don't think that's probably going to happen for you. So you're probably looking elsewhere there. Wide receiver, I think, is the wild card here for Denver because when you look at their team as it stands right now, got Corlin Sutton, they got Tim Patrick, they got Jerry Judy, they got KJ Hamler. I like this wide receiver room. Throwing Greg Dolcich as well. You got Albert Okuwegbunam if you want to go even further for depth. But apparently they're trying to trade some of these guys. Mm. Like apparently like Corlin Sutton might be moved. Apparently like Jerry Judy might be moved. I don't, so if, if all of a sudden they are really looking to move on from guys in their current wide receiver room, then wide receiver is going to become a need for them. But uh, I mean, again, man, you look at this Denver Broncos team and there's a reason why they were the emphasis of so many memes last season because they were horribly underperforming for the roster that they had. And this is one of the best rosters in the NFL and they should be performing a lot better than they were. And you got to think that somewhat of a bounce back is coming. It is coming this season with Sean Payton now. Well, it feels like if they trade away a wide receiver and we went through it the last show or the show before that, where the, the entire room appears to be on the trade block with the exception of Tim Patrick, but let's assume they're only trading away one Shut of them Tim Patrick. rather than the entire group. Even if they trade away one of those guys, to me, it feels like that's happening because they've decided they don't need as deep a wide receiver room as that because we're going to run the Seattle offense that does not let Russ cook. Like, the entire <laughs> offense or the entire offseason so far has been about restricting the culinary ability of Russell Wilson. We are going back to microwave meals. We're going to run the ball, offensive linemen, running backs, blocking tight ends. You're not passing ever unless we absolutely need it to happen. That's no longer happening. So it's not it's not good for the amount of money that they paid him. But right. yeah, go on. But it might be their only option. You know what I mean? Given the sunk cost of that. Um, so we don't need a wide receiver. We can trade away one of those guys and use use that to to bring in something else. So I sort of feel that with the return of Tim Patrick, 
even if they trade away one of those guys, wide receiver is not a need. Um, I, I think you're right with linebacker. The other sneaky need is I, edge rusher, I think, is still a pretty big need. Like Randy Gregory came in. They paid a ton of money to him. He got injured, didn't play much, much of the year. Um, Baron Browning had like a month where he was the best edge rusher in the NFL, and then that just stopped being the case and never started being the case again. Uh, Nick Benito, I really liked him coming out, but as this mm-hmm. sort of undersized situational rusher, you probably can't rely on him being an impact playmaker going forward. So like, where's the pressure coming from? I hear you. I just Maybe I have a little bit more faith in Gregory to continue to be healthy. And when he's out there, he's going to be really good. I like the upside of Baron Browning. And then I I like Nick Benito too. So maybe you should, can certainly make a case for them getting a new edge body in there, but for the group that they have, if they're healthy, I I do like those three guys. Okay. I also wouldn't hate cornerback too. I think they're another group that maybe um, could use that. I like Demari Mathis. Opposite, uh, opposite Patrick Sertan. I don't mind Demari Mathis. Okay. I don't mind him. All right. That's fine. I don't mind him. That's fine. That's what this is all about. It's all about difference of opinions, you know, mm. and you're allowed yours. Yeah. Obviously, you'll never be invited back on the podcast again. But that, Of course. That's, cool. that, that's what I'm trying to do here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just ensure that we never call you up again. I'm, try- I'm, try- I'm trying to work less, Sam. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I understand that. Yeah. Do such a bad job that they never call upon you again <laughs> to come back. That's perfect. Um, all right. Kansas City Chiefs, the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. How many needs could they possibly have? Yeah. <laughs> None. Stop <laughs> letting them get players, any players at all. Um, no, biggest needs for Kansas City, obviously, with both their offensive tackles out. Uh, Andrew Wiley is gone. Orlando Brown Jr. is gone. I almost said Orlando Bloom Jr., just so everybody wow. out there knows. Uh, Orlando Brown Jr. and Andrew Wiley, no longer there. Uh, they obviously bring in Juwan Taylor, so that could in theory you mitigate one of those losses but i think offensive tackle is still on the table for them right if a really good one is able to fall to them at the back end of the first round which does not often happen right i think the good offensive linemen go quickly um that's something that definitely should be on the table for them i think edge rusher as well they released frank clark but they signed charles amenahue who i like they signed drew tranquil who i like a lot uh they signed mike edwards who i think is going to be a really nice boost to that secondary, even with losing Juan Thornhill. So that's kind of like a one-in, one-out thing. The champs are kind of the champs right now. I I think the biggest area of concern for them is those trench spots, making sure that you're first and foremost good at offensive line because bringing up the conversation you had um, not too long ago here on this show, when they faced off against the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl, the reason why they lost is because the offensive line couldn't hold, hold up. So now you're looking at an offensive line that you got Trey Smith, you got Creed Humphrey, you got Joe Tooney on the interior. You're happy with those. You figure you're going to be happy with Juwan Taylor playing left or right tackle. You drafted Darian Kennard, who I liked and thought got drafted way too low last year. Maybe right. he makes a uh, push for that starting offensive tackle spot. They have Lucas Yang as well, who I liked when he was coming out of the draft, but he has not been able to stay healthy. So they've got some options there, but... And you're still looking at offensive line, certainly at the back end of the first round, or edge rusher, right? We see a lot of Felix on DK Uzama from Kansas State. We see a lot of Will McDonald from Iowa State. Those are guys that are consistently mocked to the Kansas City Chiefs at 31 at the back end of the first round. So I think that those are the two positions that you really got to hone in for them. And then if they have a bigger bodied wide receiver, if they want to go different at wide receiver, I think that they could. But you got to fix the trenches first, in my opinion. It's basically right tackle for the offensive line, right? Because the, the reports are Juwan Taylor's coming in. He's going to play left tackle. 
it feels like if you're giving him that contract, it's because that's set in stone. Like you're not sure. you're not playing him at left tackle as the plan now, but if you stumble into one in the draft, you'll flip him back to right. Like if you're paying him $20 million a year, he's playing left tackle for you. You've, right. you've already committed to that. So the question for them really is, are you comfortable with the two shots you have at right tackle being Lucas Niang and then Darian Kennard, who I, I agree with you, I, I thought he was a steal when they drafted him. But it feels a little bit like the Bengals – conversation we had earlier where there's a few options there but are you really confident with whatever the net is of those two guys ending up better than average maybe it, it would just depend who falls to you because if if a good offensive tackle obviously doesn't fall to you then you're gonna roll with one of those guys anyways right um i agree with you i think edge rusher is still a need for them i love bringing in charles amenahu i think that's huge george Karloftis, obviously their first round pick last year mm-hmm. had a lot of pressure but it was almost all like late developing hustle plays cleanup type of stuff there was so little in the way of decisive one-on-one wins for him in his rookie year and for a guy who's like the knock on him coming out was sure this is nice but does he really have the juice to win consistently one-on-one at the next level if that was your question like year one answered it with a no so you definitely I think would be wise to at least uh you know at least guard against the possibility that he's just at a level you know and and is only only ever going to be a complimentary piece in a, a pass rushing unit agreed all right Raiders the another team for whom the overriding question is what the hell are they doing (laughs) yeah so look at their signings we'll get to jimmy in a second but sign marcus epps sign brandon face on sign jacoby myers um brought in robert spillane sign philip dorsett sign austin hooper so it's a lot of i think they're changing the chemistry of their team a little bit but none of those are are major splashes for me i think this is still a team that and just has a lot of impact needs, I think, throughout the rest of the roster. I don't know how... I, I think it goes without saying, I don't know how happy Devontae Adams is either, right? I think Devontae Adams, right. a, a big reason why he gets signed or he decides to sign with the Raiders is because of Derek Carr. And Derek Carr is now not there. I mean, the season went so poorly that they moved on from him. And and how happy is Devontae Adams? How motivated is Devontae Adams there? Because he's certainly the cornerstone piece, especially after you traded Darren Waller, right? You move on from Darren Waller, you give Josh Jacobs the franchise tag, he might be out of there next year as well. So is Devontae looking at a situation where he goes, man, I'm about to play on a bad football team. It's about to get even worse next year. I don't know. I don't know where the, the thought process is with them. I will say that when you look at their needs, Quarterback is still number one to me, although I don't know if the Raiders are going to be a team that's going to be aggressive to move up. I thought that they would be a team that that should have for number one overall, uh, should have for number three overall as well. But by signing Jimmy to the deal that they did, to me, it feels like it signals they're okay staying at number seven. And if a quarterback falls to them at seven, they'll take one. If not, then they'll just go somewhere else. They'll draft corner. They'll draft all O-line. They'll draft a different position. I think Adam Schefter said that on ESPN when they signed Jimmy Garoppolo is this kind of takes yeah. the Raiders out of that conversation to move up. But uh, quarterback is, is a big, is a big uh, question mark still, even with Jimmy, uh, especially when you look at it long-term, I mentioned corner and offensive line. Those are the other two areas. If you're going to attack 
the number seventh overall pick with with one of those positions. I think that it's got to be it, it it's got to be one of those two. Uh, I think that those those units on the team are are not good. And this is another team where I I view the Raiders like I view the Tennessee Titans. Right. I I think they're spinning their wheels. I don't think they're going anywhere. I think the roster is just going in two completely different directions with people from the old regime, people from the new regime. Are they getting younger? Are they trying to gain veterans? Like what what are the Raiders trying to be in again an extremely difficult division to play in? What are the Raiders trying to be? Um, and I feel like they're similar to the Titans again. That I feel like they're just split and they're spinning their wheels. The other team that it feels like there's, I may be reading too much into this, but, um, everyone is always focused on coaches that come out of the new England coaching tree or the, the Bill Belichick coaching tree and how they fare outside of the protective environment of the Patriots and, and of Bill Belichick. And generally speaking, it hasn't been good. Um, it's getting interesting now because all of a sudden there's personnel guys coming out of that system as well. And so now you've got the Patriots who, from a better starting point, are actually behaving in a similar fashion of sort of bringing in just kind of random bodies. And it's like, what are we doing here? Where where are we moving to? A mm. lot, like you said, of just it feels like spinning wheels relative to other teams that are taking these big seismic leaps forward. We've got the Houston Texans with Nick Casario, who appear to be sort of just doing what the Patriots did, but without the core in place for it to matter. Like they're... They're stocking out the bottom 20 guys on the roster without ever fixing the top 20 guys on the roster. And then the Raiders feel like they're kind of doing a similar thing. Like we're bringing in New England type of players, but without the real important parts in place for this to matter. I kind of wonder if we're sort of seeing like this New England style of personnel or of approach to personnel like the limitations of what that looks like when you don't have Tom Brady as your starting sure, point, right, which right. now none of the three teams have, right? The Patriots don't have right. him anymore. The Texans never had him, and the, the Raiders don't have him. So I don't know if this is just a coincidental thing that these three teams sort of seem to be doing the same thing and consequently all look like they're stuck in the mud spinning their wheels, or if this is actually some kind of like New England, you know, the Patriot way personnel thing failing without having an elite quarterback there yeah i don't know it's hard to build a team right i mean you even sure. you even go back to to the belichick and brady combination brady's a sixth round pick right so it's kind of like you 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 luck into the greatest quarterback of all time if you will and and sure like the rest of the roster was where it needed to be and you kind of luck into hitting quarterback the way that they did and and it's just it, it, it's hard it's hard to team build but you know you've got a lot of pressure on you obviously to win games and at the same time you might be have to look at your roster and say we're just not going to be good this year and it's always really hard to be honest with yourself in that regard and um i don't know i, I felt like obviously the, the raiders roster is is fine but none of their moves really move the needle for me and to me it's still offensive line wide receiver cornerback quarterback that's that's what it is for the raiders yeah, I will say, like, I kind of like what this offense could be. Now, obviously, it relies on Jimmy Garoppolo staying healthy. I think you're right that the signing of him takes them out of the trade market, but doesn't take them out of the quarterback market with their first-round pick. Like, they're, mm-hmm. they, were reportedly, agree. They, they were reportedly involved in trying to get to number one, didn't get it done. Jimmy G was the fallback option. I, they're not trading up, I don't think, in the first round, but they could easily draft a quarterback if one they like is sitting there. But – that offensive line actually became reasonably good last year. It started from a very low starting point, but it got right. pretty capable. They've, you know, 
kept a lot of those players in place. Devonta Adams is still there. Okay, Darren Waller leaving is bad, but they've kind of sidestepped with Jacoby Myers coming in. Hunter Renfro still there. Austin Hooper comes in at tight end as well to help mitigate that. Josh Jacobs on the franchise tag keeps him around for one more year. There's like that offense could be pretty good. My concerns, though, are the defense, where you look at that and it's still just so bereft of talent, like top to bottom. Yep. Obviously, Max Crosby is a stud, but this is getting to be like Miles Garrett defensive lines, where it's like who outside of Miles or outside of Max Crosby is making plays for you? Like it's so one guy dependent that teams can just reduce the impact that that one guy has by chip blocks, additional help, everything can slide to Max Crosby and it's not a problem. Um, so to me, like they need to find defensive linemen from somewhere. I agree. I definitely agree. It's got to be more than just Max Crosby. Yeah. Um, all right. Does that bring us through to the very last team last in the team? AFC, the Los Angeles Chargers? Chargers needs – I mean, they didn't make a lot of moves in free agency. Yeah. Uh, Resigned Easton Stick, so of course, like you know, the future they Super locked Bowl, him up for, for one year, which is big. Um, resigned Trey Pipkins, resigned Morgan Fox, resigned J.K. Scott. They signed Eric Hendricks to mm. a two-year, thirteen point two million dollar deal. So Love they get a little bit of experienced linebacker help to play next to Kenneth Murray. So I, I you know, in, in theory, that's going to help them in the middle of the defense. But interior defensive line still, I think, a major need for them, especially when it comes to run stopping. If they want to be able to play light in the box and and um, have less bodies in there, they've got to be more stout up front. So I think the interior defensive line is still a major need for them. Wide receiver, they're still missing that big speed element at wide receiver. I like Mike Williams. I like Josh Palmer. I like Keenan Allen. But that ability to take the top off the defense and allow guys to really work underneath for yards after the catch, they're still missing that. And I would say the depth of their edge rush group. You know, Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa, they're a great one-two combination to really boast about when you're playing Madden, right? And the injuries are off and you never have to worry about subbing. You know, like those guys are on the field at all times, every single game, um, every single week. But when Joey Bosa went down, I think you saw a lot of lack of edge rush depth for them and no one was really able to pick that up. And not to say that you're going to have an equal talent to a Joey Bosa sitting on the bench ready to come in, but it's got to be less of a drop-off than what we saw last year. It felt like they just were not able to affect the pocket the way that they needed to when he was out. So I, I think that both the defensive line spots, interior and edge, as well as wide receiver, those are the big areas for me. Yeah, I think they haven't done a ton in terms of activity, but the re-signing of the players that they re-signed, I think are pretty important moves for the Chargers. Like Morgan Fox coming back, I think is a sneaky good move. Um, we tend to think of that defensive front inside as being really bad just because the group was really bad. But Morgan Fox individually, I think, is a pretty good player. Uh, Trey Pipkins coming back at least gives them the flexibility to uh, have a starting five that's good. Jamari Sawyer is probably going to play left guard, replacing Matt Filer. Pipkins, mm -hmm. we saw last year, was fine at right tackle. So that starting five should be pretty good. Uh, I really love adding Eric Hendricks to that linebacker group. If they figured out how to use J.C. Jackson you know, right before he got hurt last season – all of us, right. you know, that defense could, Corner's be, big too. could be pretty good if they can get at least one more impact body, you know, inside. Or Austin Johnson or Sebastian Joseph Day, like, shows significantly more this season than they showed their first year with the team. Um, right. So I think that interior defensive line is definitely a spot. And I would, like, the wide receiver thing, it, it's more than that to me. It's, like, speed. Forget 
Yeah, oh, wide right. receiver. Yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. they just 100%. need some speed. Somebody that's got some pace that can scare teams in a way that Keenan Allen and Mike Williams just don't. Yep. And I think that, you know, I'm not, I don't think that Keenan Allen's necessarily cooked, but Keenan Allen used to be that type of wide receiver where he was such an unbelievable route runner that when you put him in a slot and you gave him those two way go options, any corner that he was going up against is like, okay, well, I better back up eight to 10 yards because I just can't let this guy get behind me. Like, I just cannot get murdered for a 40, 50 yard bomb pass here if he gets behind me and I lose contain on him. So I think in that sense, you had a guy who could really put a lot of pressure on the defense. But other than that, they they do. They need that speed element player somewhere, whether it's a vertical threat guy or I've even liked the thought of Zay Flowers potentially in this offense because he's more electric in that regard after the catch uh, and over the middle. So some sort of new speed, I think, would be big for them. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's huge. And then obviously there's the potential that they lose Austin Eckler if any kind of trade manifests oh, sure. there. All right. of a sudden, running back becomes a pretty huge need for them. Albeit yep. one, I think, that is very easy to solve in this draft of all drafts like great running back draft they can I get say very because austin eckler does give you a lot and sure there are a lot of backs in this in this draft that could give you that kind of ability in theory but sure. it's always different going from college to the pro so i don't know if i'd say easily but there's definitely backs with such skill set that shoot if i mean if they draft Bijan robinson of course then it's right. to me it's one in one out but you know you you figure they're probably going to wait a little bit to add a running back and if that's the case i do think you can get a good one yeah absolutely i, I just think it's a very strong running back class for them to to be able it to is. patch up that you're i'm not saying replace austin eckler like for like and not suffer a drop-off but for it to not be a glaring problematic need that they you know they're not able to solve like they should be able to solve that relatively easily as a just draft a guy you know what i mean mm-hmm. all right trev this has been fun thank you very Ooh. much for uh, showing up sir i think i think you know we'll, we'll let the people decide the the chat room the fans whether or not you've done a good enough job for us to never invite you back or not um but you know from from my perspective it's been it's been fun okay well i appreciate it i'm glad that i got your uh that you're i got that you're you're stamp of approval here for my guest spot but no man this is great this is a lot of fun the the article of not only doing the afc teams but also the nfc teams it was a lot of fun for me to do it's a great way for me to go over a lot of the free agency changes and be able to focus on the draft of like okay what changed how's the draft going to change a little bit and obviously you guys have talked about that here on this show so it was uh it was good it was good to be able to uh Let's shout some of those conversations. It was fun, man. Yes, yeah, so head to pff.com. Find Trevor's article there. Also head to the mock draft sim, pff.com forward slash mock, where you can use those uh, team needs and, and draft for yourself. We'll be back tomorrow with Mike doing the NFC. Thanks for listening. <laughs>